1: Guys, yes, yes, yes. Here we are again. You know, every week we bring you a different business founder and their startup. But as you know, our bar is very high to scale the everyone talks to Liz Wall. You've got to have fought through all kinds of challenges. No easy street. I inherited it all from my dad kind of thing. All startups face fires that they have to put out. You know, most of them are little, but you're not sleeping Murphy's Law is always proven to be true. If something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And then there are some of those business founders and leaders who have to put out massive wildfires. And sometimes they think, I just can't go on, but they do. Throw in that, the challenges that come along with building a company from scratch in an industry that has the odds stacked against you. Suzanne Yoon, founder and managing partner of this company called Kinsey Capital Partners, it's a private equity outfit, worked in finance for more than 20 years before saying, you know what, I'm going to take this gutsy leap of faith. She launched her own business, private equity, and really pretty young still, four years later, it is paying off. But she not only had to fight to become a top name in what is a male-dominated industry, she's had to throw quite a few elbows at multiple unique problems that came her way. So let's hear how she did it. Suzanne, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, Liz. Wow, what a great introduction. (laughs) Thank you. Oh my gosh. You know, people that we interview here, I always say, that was such a great introduction. I only get that from studying you guys. This is easy for me because my producer and I, Julie McGonigal, always look through and we pick people who are extraordinary. So, hey, it had nothing to do with me. I, I want to talk about Chicago because you're coming to us from Chicago. Your business is in Chicago. Talk about your childhood.
0: So um, I um, am the daughter of South Korean immigrants. My um, and I'm the oldest of four. I was brought to the United States when I was just a baby and grew up in Chicago. My mother was a nurse and my father was an engineer turned entrepreneur. He borrowed money from friends and family to open his first deli um, in a very working-class neighborhood um, when I was only four years old. And some of my earliest memories are Mm -hmm. of um, really working for candy bars and stacking shelves um, in exchange for candy bars from my dad. Oh, that's a good deal. I love chocolate.
1: So I would work (laughs) only for chocolate, even at this stage of my life. (laughs)
0: Uh, At that point, my my favorite was Twix bars. Okay. So um, he had a nice stash of Twix bars for me. And then as you know, as he you know grew his businesses and and um, built more businesses, he went into neighborhoods that really um, were underprivileged neighborhoods, but really needed businesses in order to thrive, um, even within those those neighborhoods. And you know, sometimes I would work on the weekends with my father. At times behind bulletproof glass. You know, nobody, Uh, I I think back to those days and I'm like, wow, I never really thought that that was strange. You know, but in hindsight, I look back and I see that my father and mother like worked really hard. It's a real immigrant story, you know, worked hard to make sure that they could provide for us.
1: How old were you when you first started working at one of your dad's places?
0: Well, I would start to go to work with him as early as you know four or five years old. I wouldn't say I actually worked, you know, until I was six or seven. Maybe I would start sweeping floors for, for um, candy money, right, and book money, and um, I would continue to help out and follow him around. And I think when I was eight years old, I told him, "Dad, when I turn ten, I want to be your secretary, and I'm going to go to work with you." every weekend and take notes. And he just thought that was the the funniest thing. Um, But I, I really appreciated, you know, being around a business and, you know, being around people and how he managed his, you know, small businesses and the people who worked for him. Um, And I think he was just a really big believer in the American dream and opportunity and effort, you know, effort, um, making sure that the effort that he put in and that we put in was going to pay off.
1: Working for your dad from age six on, to me, is stunning in and of itself. But what our listeners do not know is that you experienced a horrific tragedy. Talk about that and how it shaped your life.
0: Um, So when I was 10 years old, I was the oldest of three, and my mother was four and a half months pregnant. With my youngest brother, uh, my father was tragically killed in an armed robbery. So that just changed the entire trajectory of where we thought our life was going. Um, my mother, God bless her, was very focused on making sure that we continued to have a good education. And although she wouldn't be able to perform, you know, provide for us and um, afford private education in the city of Chicago. She moved us out to a Chicago suburb um, where the high school was very good, and her only criteria was that the SAT scores were very high on average. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like a <laughs> Korean mom would want. So, Micah bomb. Yeah, um, and I, I, I think there are two things that happen with tragedy. You know, you can take tragedy, and you can turn that into more tragedy or you can take tragedy and change your destiny. And my mother was dead set on making sure that it was not gonna, you know, tragedy wasn't gonna continue, but our trajectory of continued growth and, you know, continuing to prosper and, and chasing the American dream was certainly gonna continue. So I was really fortunate to have, you know, that level of commitment and conviction from, you know, my surviving parent. A
1: lot of people would curl up in a ball and say, I'm out. This is the worst possible thing. He had the American dream. He did everything right. And yet still, this horrific situation befell us. You plowed ahead so much in part, obviously, because of your mom creating this atmosphere that was very, very supportive. You get to college, University of Iowa. Talk about What focus you decided to pinpoint and why?
0: So um, I originally actually thought I wanted to be a journalist. And so I was a political science and English double major. And um, I was actually very interested in business because of my early experiences with my father and then having a number of classmates, parents who were actively involved in businesses, CEOs of public companies, and I had had exposure to that. So I knew that if I wanted to be a journalist, I should really learn about economics and, um, and, and really kind of pursue as additional education, you know, um, really business and economics, which is how I ended up taking economics classes and really just loved them. And so I ultimately ended up changing my major and um, decided that I also really wanted to control my own destiny, which meant that I wanted my own financial freedom. Wait, you mean you're telling me you didn't
1: want somebody telling you that your hair wasn't quite right or we needed to change the outfit? (laughs) I I got that too,
0: Liz, by the way, even in finance.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know the pressures on women in finance are are quite legion. We certainly know that. But you then went to Northwestern for graduate school. Uh, once you got out of Northwestern, You dove into the industry, the financial industry, for more than 20 years. You hopped around different companies. Um, What did you glean from constantly moving? Because I moved from L.A. to Columbus, to Cleveland, to Boston. And I always maintain that because I went to the Midwest and because I jumped around to the East Coast, that has made me a better professional in my industry.
0: Yeah, I, I would say the changes. You know, I started at one of the largest banks in the world right out of college and went through an analyst training program that was excellent. But at heart, I always knew I was an investor, and I think as an investor, I was very focused on making sure that I was continuing learning and growing and seeing as much as I could. So as I grew, um, both in my my technical skill set. Um, And also pursuing new opportunities, you know, that, that led me to New York for a number of years. And as I started to decide to have a family, I ended up moving back to Chicago, but I agree with you. There's so many experiences to be had and so many different ways to invest, you know, just like any other industry and finding your niche is really what I was looking for. Well, that, Gang in New York
1: and Wall Street and high finance, they're a tough one. Do you remember any experiences where you were dismissed by people or you were just shoved aside or not taken seriously? Talk a little bit about that.
0: So I have the typical female executive experience in the 90s, 2000s, um, and even you know the early I would say early 2010 on where I may have been the most senior person in the room with a male colleague and the people on the other side of the table would direct to the, to the uh, male colleague right before me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also had situations where, where I was more junior, I was asked to get people coffee. I was, um, to your point, told my hair wasn't right. My, skirt was too long um, that I should wear a skirt instead of pants to meetings. I did get that too, that I should wear a skirt suit versus a pants suit. And so I've had a lot of the, I would say what, when I share my experiences with other groups of executive women, they are all shaking their head. Like, yeah, of course you did like me too. Right. So, but I think in finance, one of the things that I will say I really appreciated about New York, which is very different from the Midwest and some other areas in the country, is New York is very fast paced. And in a lot of ways, Wall Street doesn't care what you look like or what gender you are. They just want to know if you can actually make money. Amen.
1: I mean, that's the thing. I'm big on meritocracy. And I remember, you know, when I was in Cleveland, I really wanted to cover Hurricane Andrew, which at the time was the first Category 5 hurricane that was barreling toward Louisiana. And I ran into the news director and I said, I want to go. I want to go. I didn't want him to see me as a man or a woman or a Martian. I wanted him to see me as the best person for the job. And he sent me. And I knew this is important. I, I had to come through on this because you you don't want any breaks. I didn't. I mean, I didn't want people to say, Oh, well, give it to her. She's a woman, you know, or don't give it to her because she's a woman. Give it to me because I'm the best or the one who can do it.
0: And Liz, the reason he sent you was because he knew you were going to get it done. And that was the reputation I wanted in New York and Chicago, wherever I worked, is that if I was going to be on something, a deal, they knew I was going to close.
1: What was the aha moment, Suzanne, when you realized that it was time to break away from these organizations, these businesses, where everything was already set in stone and put in place and very safe, and where you decided, I'm going to go out on my own and start my own business?
0: I think it has always festered in me having been part of an entrepreneurial family and my parents' influence on controlling my own destiny and always teaching me, yes, you look different, your gender is like not, you know, you are you have a lot of odds against you because you look different and you're not the right gender, but you're just going to work twice as hard and be twice as good and be twice, you know, three times as fast and whatever else it took to get there. And so I think deep down, I knew that at some point in my career, I was going to do something either on my own or lead something that was going to be different. And um, there are a number of factors um, that, that really influenced me, but it was at the core, really digging deep and saying, okay, if I don't do this now, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And when I talk about my destiny, I just always felt like I was destined to be in control of my own destiny.
1: This is everyone talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who, in 2020, were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands. And I saw an ad for MasterClass, and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With MasterClass, you can learn from the best to become your best. MasterClass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care. You can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business, and then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com Liz. Masterclass.com Liz. As you founded Kinsey Capital, which is your company, you decided to focus specifically on investing in lower middle market consumer manufacturing service industries and private equity. You guys go out and you pinpoint businesses that aren't being managed properly or down and out and you buy them and you spiff them up and you hopefully make them better than they ever were up. Uh, but starting a business from the ground up, to me, I think of all the logistics, you know, ordering the stationery, getting a lease for an office, hiring people. I, I mean, how difficult was that? I want people to understand this is not easy.
0: Holy cow, it's um, it's the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. It will be the hardest thing I'll ever do in my life. Um, I I've explained it to people like, Climbing and preparing to, you know, climb um, Mount Everest. You don't just go climb Mount Everest because you decided, oh, I think I'm going to climb Mount Everest today. <laughs> no, you prepare mentally, emotionally, physically. You get everybody around you prepared to do that. And then when you start, um, instead of you know, it's it's one of the hardest treks uphill you'll ever, you know, do even with tons of training and then you get to one point and you're barely at base camp. That's how it feels like every day when you're starting, you know, a business from scratch. And um, I, you know, you, you mentioned so many of it. I did wear so many hats. Um, Founder, CEO, head janitor, head tech, you know, head of it, head of HR um, everything. And then on top of that, with a private equity business, I have to fundraise. And I'm fundraising and competing against very established firms that um, I recognize have track records and you know, coming out with a new firm and convincing people that you are going to do as good or a better job than the, than the funds that are out there and established today is not an easy feat.
1: We talk about putting out fires right and left, even in the most established businesses that happens, but was there something that happened at any point where you almost said, I, I, I'm out, I can't do this. And, and what was that? How did you overcome that challenge?
0: Um, so I'm in the business of doing deals and acquiring companies and taking control, making them better you. Uh, but, but the start of that is actually acquiring a company. And convincing also not investors, but also companies to sell their companies to you versus another private equity firm. And it took us um, some time to actually build our reputation as a firm, despite my track record and relationships that I had in the market. And there were you know early deals where we were very close on closing, so close on closing. And there was a geopolitical issue on one, and we ended up pulling out. There was a tariff issue on another. In the middle of our deal, the tariffs were announced with China and completely changed the dynamic of the deal. And we had to show pricing discipline and pull out again. And it is it rips your heart out when you are when it's that's the core of your business um but we persevered through that and continued to raise money um and do our first two platform deal you know acquire our first two platform companies and they have been doing very well and we're continuing to grow and so it's it's the early early days i mean there's so many things that can happen but when, when you lose a deal or you can't close on a deal for whatever variety of reasons for an investor. Um, and that's really what our bread and butter is. It's, um, it's probably like for you losing like the biggest story. Oh, it's happened. And, you know, when
1: having left CNBC, where I, I worked for nine years, I mean, that was easy. They were the world's leader in business news, but like you, I thought, I I gotta take this shot. I think I can do better at a startup, which was Fox Business. I mean, they had 18 years head start on us, getting CEOs to take the chance to give us interviews. I mean, they couldn't even, I remember I was trying to get Alan Mulally of Ford and the PR person said, Liz, we, we can't even get your channel yet. It's not on the cable network. And I mean, it was just constant battles and fighting and, and I'd lose out on interviews and it was heartbreaking. But when you fight, you get stronger. Yeah, you break nails and jaws and teeth and it's it's brutal. But boy, when you finally win and you do, because you can't beat a man or a woman who just won't give up, there's nothing like it, right?
0: Yep. And it is that heartbreak also teaches you so much. If you take every, you look at every loss and you analyze what could we have done better? What could, you know, and do it better the next time. And you continually improve at some point, right. You become the super bowl champions. (laughs) And so that's what we strive for every day is, you know, I tell my team all the time, like, this is an incredibly competitive business. You cannot, you know, take the foot off the gas, We've got to show up every day like it's our it's like it's our last chance. And we've got to treat every dollar that our investors put in us like it's our last dollar, because if we don't do it, someone else will.
1: Suzanne, if your dad could see you now, what would he be most proud of?
0: Oh, wow. Um, I actually think first and foremost, he would be most proud that he has three grandsons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, okay, so now this is insane. You're doing
1: all of this and you're a mom of three. I am a mom of three boys.
0: Okay, <laughs> Even more her. difficult. Um, so I think he would be really happy to see that he had, you know, my my boys are, are really good kids. And I, I think generally very well balanced. Not always. They're very intense. Um, but... You know, and I think about that, too, is um, not just as a business leader, but what I represent to them. And um, what I do know is I think I'm I'm going to end up raising very good husbands, so that (laughs) 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 Uh, because they're not afraid of strong women. They won't be.
1: Brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. Well, we will follow your company and you you are such an inspiration and again your story underscores that nobody gets to see a rainbow unless they see a lot of rain ahead of it you know it's it's not supposed to be easy and anything worth having is hard hard to reach for you are living proof of that and we love this story thank you so much for telling it to us
0: Thank you, Liz. It's such a joy to be on your show.
1: Great to have you. Okay, so you guys, right? I don't disappoint. We always bring you these amazing stories, and and we want you to not just listen. We want you to glean something from them. We want you to squeeze something out of it as it comes through your personal crucible. I'm getting a little over poetic here, Um, and take it and reach for your own dreams. Thank you so much for listening once again. As always, you guys matter a lot to me. I'm so appreciative that you take the time in your busy life and world to tune in and listen to these great stories. And um, listen, um, I demand that you tune in Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business because you've got to watch your money that you do work so hard for, okay? That's what I do on The Claim and Countdown. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening.